welcome once again to another episode of the Global Gale podcast and I'm out on me travels boys and girls and if I manage to sound calm I'm doing fairly well because I am at the World Cup I'm looking out the window of a hotel room here in Doha in Qatar and you might be able to hear the air conditioning in the background because it's Doha and it's in Qatar and it's roasting here despite the fact that it's November in the Middle East so I'm over here covering the World Cup for a major news agency, but the good thing about that is that uh, it gets me out and about, and it gets me meeting the Irish abroad, and sure isn't that what the Global Gale podcast is all about? Um, we've talked a lot in the past, and hopefully we'll actually talk to a, a young Irish musician who's working over here and who's having a great time of it all together. I tried to meet him the other day, but when you're working with things like this, things change very quickly, and this is a sort of a different kind of a World Cup, right? So basically everything is within an hour of where I'm sitting, right? All the stadiums, all eight of them or whatever it is, all the games are within an hour. So you can be told or asked or suggested to go absolutely anywhere at any time of the day, right? So it's going to meet this chap, Martin, that we'll be talking to hopefully next for next week's podcast. He came over to the hotel here, but unfortunately, I was packed off to somewhere else. And that's the nature of the beast. These lovely people are paying me to be here, so I kind of have to do what they ask. So I kind of let him down there the other day, but I let him know anyway, and we're going to meet up again in the future. And he's going to tell us a little bit about living here in Doha. But uh, that's not to say that we don't have a sporting team for you this week, ladies and gentlemen. But before we do that, let me tell you that this is a listener supported podcast patreon.com forward slash arrow man in stockholm sign up there five a month you can sign up for two euros a month if you want uh, it helps me keep the light keep the lights on and to keep bringing you these podcasts and i'm doing my level best to keep bringing them to you uh, while i am here in qatar despite the fact that we're working, working around the clock you know uh, so if you could do that that's great if you happen to be sitting on a fortune if uh, you were the heir to several millions you know the e- elon musk's twitter billions you might have got a payoff there when he bought up all them shares then get in touch with uh, philip at eblana.se and uh, you can suggest sponsorship or if there's anything else i can do for you let me know anything at all just to keep the podcast going it's been a brilliant first few weeks of the podcast and i want to keep it going as much as i possibly can now time is tight boys and girls that's what happens when you're at the world cup there's loads of people dragging out you want you to do things and you have to do work and you have to eat you have to do all those things as well so we will get straight into this week's interview and as i say it is a sporting team because this week I've been talking to none other than Cora Staunton, who is one of Ireland's greatest athletes, right? You put her up there with absolutely anybody, the Sonia O'Sullivan's of this world, anybody you got, I'll throw her up there. Katie McCabe, the captain of the soccer team. But Cora's one of these amazing people, right? tremendous Gaelic footballer. She's won more All-Irelands than the rest of us could shake a stick at, right? Played rugby played soccer, has done absolutely everything. But then, in her mid-30s, she got the chance to go to Australia to play Australian rules football professionally, right? And I'm 51 years of age. When I grew up, you know, we just had this idea that women didn't play sports. I, I grew up in Duddy Kearney in Dublin, and Crave Kieran had a fairly decent camogie team, uh, and that was about it. We just didn't, it just wasn't on the cards. Or if it was, we lads, teenage lads, didn't notice it. Now, you know, unlike some boys, we didn't go around ridiculing it, and I'm glad we didn't, because when you look at athletes like Cora Staunton and what they've done to put Irish women and Irish sport on the map, it's just tremendous. So Cora went down to Australia and did her whole thing, and let's uh, let her tell her story of becoming a professional of getting down there of being injured and of being bouncing back baby and being better than ever before so this week on the global gale my pleasure to introduce to you the interview with cora staunton
I was just saying before I press record there, Cora, to have a legend of, of all sorts of sports, such as yourself, is such a pleasure to have you on the Global Gale podcast. But if you can, could you start where uh, the idea of going to Australia to play Australian rules football came from? How did that all come about for you? Yeah, well, I suppose it, it came about um, through a conversation. I was actually in um, Shanghai in China. Um, in October 2016, um, I was an ambassador for the Asian GA Games over there, and I had been for a number of years. I'd been in Kuala Lumpur and a few other places in Asia, and um, I bumped into a guy called Nick Walsh. He was over from Australia. He's Irish as well. He's originally from Cavan, but at the time, he was working um, with the Giants um, in Sydney uh, um, on the men's program, and he just said to me oh, um, what he was doing. He was saying that the women's league was starting that um, that January. Um, and he was like, oh, do you have any interest in playing? And I was like, oh, God, no, um, not at my age now. And um, so, yeah, just conversation. He was telling me that the league was starting and there was a big hype around it. Um, so the first season went by um, and the Giants didn't do particularly well in the first season. And then they got a new coach who this guy Nick would have been working with in the men's program I was quite friendly with. And yeah, he just suggested to, to him, would you bring over someone from Ireland? And yeah, the rest is history. A few emails and phone calls later, um, I had a conversation with the head coach um, um, of the women's team. He, he got the head coach role, Alan McConnell. And yeah, I eventually went over in October of um, 2017 for a trial for a couple of days. Yeah, for, as I said, the rest is history. Ended up going over that December after we won the the All Ireland with Karen O'Conn, um flew flew out from from Dublin two days after winning the All Ireland, and yeah, it was kind of only meant to be a, a one year one year season. And um, yeah, I'm just after playing my sixth. So yeah, it's a it's yeah, it's a bit mad how it's happened. It's probably a bit mad how it's still going. Well, if you go back to that then, because like you know, it's easy to think now because women's sport is much more visible now. But you've been winning all Ireland since you know almost as long as I've been living in Sweden, which is twenty three years. You've been winning, and you've been playing rugby, you've been playing soccer, you've been doing everything. So women's sport is much more visible now. But back then, you would have had a job, I'm presuming. I think you worked for the HSE back then. Um, you know, you had your local connections. People obviously wanted to play club football and county football and and all sorts of sports. How easy was it to sort of up sticks and did they wave, you know, did, did they drive up the Brinks truck full of money and go, here you go, Pat, get, get yourself over here playing football? No, because I suppose the way the women's season over here started off, it's changing now, but it started off, um, you know, the season would start off kind of in October for pre-season and it's a short season and games would be kind of finished by April. So um, fr from a point of view of being at home, you really weren't missing anything. Um, bar if you had an extended club run um, you could manage to, to marry the two um, seasons into one um, unfortunately that has now changed for most girls that are over here because they changed the timing of the season this season just gone by so the season now runs pre-season would kind of start in May, June time and the season then runs through to Christmas so um, in terms of being able to play both that, that's kind of gone now because obviously that's running into the same calendar year as um, club football and county football but at the start, no, it wasn't. I only knew kind of it was like a couple of months and I'd be back home. And I only, as I said, probably thought I was only going to do it for a season, maybe two. Um, and it was a little bit different for me as well. I was at the uh, at the um, end of my career in terms of Mayo. So, um, you know, probably wasn't as hard a decision for me. But no, I, I suppose the biggest thing I, I liked about it was kind of 
as I said, I played soccer and rugby and I liked the challenge of trying out other sports. I suppose that was the biggest thing. And the minute I come over, well, probably not the minute, but probably a couple of probably a couple of weeks in, I knew I could get better at it. And I, um, you know, kind of fell in love with the club and um, our head coach was a very special uh, guy as well. So I suppose all of that married and, and getting to know the your teammates, all that kind of married to being exciting. And in my first year, I done, I done pretty well. So yeah, once that all kind of happened, you kind of, you get a taste for it and you just want to get, get better and better. At it. And yeah, I suppose that's what I've tried to do over the last number of years. How hard was it to adapt? Because it it is a different game. Obviously, the ball is a different shape. Um, I always found I'm afraid to be live to play Australian rules football. Uh, Australian rules football because it's just so much more physical when the lads play it. You know, and it frightens the life out of me. Did you did you find it sort of difficult in the beginning to adjust to the tempo of the game or the physicality of the game? Uh, yeah, I did. I suppose the physicality probably. It didn't really shock me because I had played rugby and it's quite a similar physicality to rugby. Um, so from that point of view, I was lucky that I had a couple of years of rugby under my belt. If I definitely didn't have that, then yeah, you'd be shocked from the physicality. Um, yeah, there, there are certain aspects of the game. Obviously, the ball and the shape of the ball is the biggest one and, and learning to kick the ball. But you get kind of used to that, not quite quickly, but you get used to your own style and you kind of stick to it. I suppose for me, the biggest thing was um, all the structures of the game. It's a bit like NFL. They're very like structured and plan-based um, so to learn all the positions and exactly what we're doing when the ball is in one end of the ground or when the ball is in the other end of the ground, I think all of that, I trying to, you know, struggle to learn all that, but at the same time, try to play your own game and play off your own instincts. So I was trying to, to marry all that. So there was a lot of learning off field and on field for me in the first kind of, certainly in the first season and, and beyond after that. So, um yeah, it, it was difficult, but yeah, you get, you get used to it. As I said, the physicality of the game, I actually, I really enjoy and relish um, because you probably didn't have that. You had it a little bit in ladies football, but you didn't have anywhere near that. So no, I, di- I didn't mind that. Um, didn't mind that part of it at all. Throwing a few digs as well as accepting a few digs on the pitch, you know, would be alien exactly. to you, you know. But uh, there's another thing, one thing, one of the things that's said about the sport, Cora, is that a lot of people, when they go over there and they play for the first time, they're surprised by the level of intensity in the training, right? So you have to be so much fitter, you have to be so much stronger, the pitch is that much bigger, etc. You know, did you find that to be different from what you were doing with Mayo and with the club and in the rugby? Yeah, I think there's different parts, but I suppose. The biggest thing I found with training initially was obviously they do a huge amount of gym work, so strength conditioning work. Um, now that's probably you know picked up in in the GA terms, um, you know, in the last kind of especially in ladies football in the last five six years. But initially, when I come over, we wouldn't have done a huge amount of that in Mayo. We'd have touched on it, but we'd only be maybe doing a session or two a week. Over here, like we were easily doing four, you know, four plus maybe five sessions a week in that. So I found that quite different. And yeah, then obviously fitness wise, um, yeah, there's different elements of the game. It's it's a more, um, the game while it's fast, there's a lot obviously with stoppages and ball being out of play a lot more. It's it's, it's a different, um, it's a different really fitness than Gaelic football. Gaelic football is a lot more explosive and, you know, you need to be more agile um, and the ball moves a lot quicker. So yeah, it's just to, to, to adapt to that. I suppose the biggest thing when I come over, so I'd missed quite a bit of preseason because of our run with club. Um, I suppose the biggest thing f- for me was to to, to just to this, the heat. So where we train out in Western Sydney, which is 
um, and I come out in December, which is the mid um, in their summer, and it's you know forty plus degrees, and you're training in that. Um, yeah, I, I probably struggled with that initially. I thought that was you know that was crazy. Like it was really hard to to adapt to training in that kind of level of um, heat. And then you know we were training you know a couple hours a day, and then gym and after that. So your days were quite long. So I, yeah, all of that kind of the volume of training that we're doing. Um, at the time was probably the biggest thing that I, you know, that struggled with and, and took a little while to get used to. I mean, it's no secret. You've mentioned yourself. You were coming towards the end of your of your Gaelic football career with Mayo at that time. So you weren't particularly young when you went over there. Did you did that worry you when you were going over there that all these young ones would be running rings around you when you started playing? Yeah, initially I, it did, um, you know, but I suppose conversations with Al and Nick um yeah, and I was really going in blind because I haven't even I hadn't even watched much of it or you know that season that happened before. I didn't. I just didn't really have time because before I went over, I was just um, flat out playing with Mayo. Then we lost the All Ireland with Mayo that year. That year was straight into to club football. And as you said, you're holding down a full time job as well at home. So yeah, I suppose there was a little bit of worry because you had obviously heard of AFL in the mins and their their pre seasons and their training and and all of that, but. Yeah, you kind of soon realise when you go over, yeah, after a couple of sessions, yeah, you have nothing really to worry about. Um, I always knew I kept myself fit and I was coming, the biggest thing I was coming off the back for a really long season. I obviously had been playing since January with Mayo and then, um, you know, I had probably done 11 months at that stage um, with no break and then I was straight into pre-season. So if I was probably going into training at any time, I was probably going to be in good condition, bare the couple of knocks that I might have had along the way um, with injury. But um, no, early days, maybe there was a little bit of worry about that, but that was soon put to bed once I kind of arrived over and, you know, kind of fitted in seamlessly enough um, into the team. Do you find that as, a, as an athlete that you've changed the way you approach and you play the game, right? Because I remember when I turned 30, I noticed myself getting a little bit slower. And this is just playing amateur soccer and playing Gaelic football. And then 40, it was like I fell off a cliff. And 50, sure, Jesus, I'm just standing on the edge of the square now and hoping somebody will put a ball into me, you know? Did you find yourself having to adapt as you got a little bit older through through your different periods and different sports? No, it's, it's mad. I actually, because of probably coming to Australia um I've actually in the time that I came here even though I've had quite well, one serious injury I actually quite felt that I've got fitter and stronger because of the level of conditioning training we're doing particularly in the gym um so yeah there wasn't a period there where I felt and I'm lucky I've never really lost my speed that I've always been quite quick and that's one thing that has never gone so um no I actually think the type of training and they're very much over here very much about not overloading you with training, as in you do a huge amount, amount, but you also recover a lot. So, yeah, pre-season is very tough and you train hard during pre-season. But when it comes to games, you just play your game and then you might train twice in the in the week. So they're very much about like, and that took me a long time to adapt to all their recovery processes, whether it was, you know, the whole stretch and ice baths, cold, whatever, or hot and cold baths, Um yeah, you know, everything that we done recovery wise, you know, even when we commit, we played a game the next day, we had a session that was very light. Um, mm. So I think you forget that you have so much time to look after your body and look after yourself because, you you know, if I played on a Sunday with Mayo, I'm back into work on a Monday morning and have a full week of work ahead where you didn't have that over here. All you were doing was just concentrating, getting yourself better. And then I broke my leg badly in 2019. And while obviously that was hard, I think that was probably a reason that 
um, I was taught again because obviously I had to learn how to walk and, and, and run again because my break was so bad that that actually I learned how to run and walk better than I ever did before, if that's possible, because obviously running mechanics, you know, with the strength conditioning coach six times a week. So they're they're teaching you the proper way to run. So things like that probably benefit me, even though I didn't know it at the time. It's cast away. You don't even think of that, that you could be running the wrong way, you know, yeah. and, and all of a sudden when, when everything is sort of broken down and built back up again, you know, and um, when it comes to that rest and recovery things, a friend of mine is a professional footballer who hates the ice baths, Cora. Is that something that, you know, do, did you get into it? Do you like it? You know, I know you can appreciate it without enjoying it, that kind of thing. You know, is there anything about it though that annoys you having to do those things after training? No, I, I suppose me and one of the other Irish girls that's here and, and probably a couple of the older girls are very religious about it. We do it every after every training. We're not meant to do that. We're, we don't have, it's not compulsory after every training. It is after certain days, but no, I I, can, I think it's nearly a thing psychologically in your head that you just do now because, you know, in some way it might help. Um, no, I, I suppose, again, when you're over here and it's very warm, it's, it's um it's a thing that you don't mind hopping into, especially after yeah, a session that might have been 35 or 40 degrees. And yeah, that's it's, it's easy to get into it. I can understand, yeah, when I used to have to do them at home in Ireland, it was probably a little bit different. But no, anything just to kind of recover after a really big session and get the body right for the next session, you know, I didn't really mind doing. But yeah, they're very much, they're very particular over here, but not overtraining where that was probably a thing at the start because I would, would be always doing extras to, to obviously learn the game. That was the thing at the start that they kind of, you know, were very much monitoring me on and, oh, you know, take it easy and don't do too much. And I was like, yeah, I know my own body. I'm fine. And I obviously needed to learn the game. Mm. Um, one of the things that you're sort of famous for in Australia is your goal scoring ability. For some reason, you're just able to stick that ball between the posts. Have they come to depend on you in a way? And do you feel a lot of pressure when you are out there and you get the balls? Like, right, right. Everybody's expecting me to score now or to do something wild with it. Yeah, I suppose um, the longer I'm here, yeah, I suppose there's there's probably a little bit more pressure um, on me as the key forward. And and really, I'm not the key. I shouldn't be a key forward because I'm not tall enough to be a key forward. Key forwards over here, you know, are probably verging on, you know, six foot. I'm only, you know, five foot nine. So, um, yeah, certainly within our team, we don't really have um, many talls. So, yeah, there has been probably a little bit of pressure, not early days, but as, um, as, this, as the seasons went on. Yeah, certainly. But yeah, that, that doesn't phase me at all. I've, I've had a career of, of, of that at home where, um, you know, you're expected to, to score a lot in, in a Gaelic football term every time you went out. So, yeah, no, that doesn't bother me, I suppose. It's something you kind of relish and, and, and take on board. Is it possible to wait? You know the way, like you know, a forward who's five foot nine in Gaelic football, you'll put the ball in sort of low and hard and quick to them, you know, rather than I'm six foot three, so they put it into the air to me. Still couldn't catch the bleeding thing, but you know, did, did the game have to change for you? Did they have to change the way they play the ball into you to give you the best chance of scoring when you arrived? Uh, at the club? Yeah, yeah. At, at times they did, yeah. Um, but other times you just can't. It's the type of game. It's it. Sometimes it's just chaos. It's get the ball. Um, and you know, just kick it if you're under pressure. At times, if you if you get the ball on the outside, but for sure, yeah, um, yeah, we, you know, I obviously, I, I suppose the Irish girls over here, their biggest biggest strength is that we're agile and we're quite quick, and um, you know, we're we're not ones for running straight lines. Where the Aussies are, are a bit like that. So yeah, you just you just become yeah, you a bit like Gaelic football. You, you look for the ball in space, or 
Um, you just be clever in how you might use your body because obviously you can do that in American contest. So yeah, it's just learning different tr uh, tricks and, and stuff when, when you get in. But there is times that, yeah, the ball will just be lobbed in and you just have to try and compete. You're not expected to mark it all the time, but you're certainly not expected to get out marked. That makes sense. But mm. yeah, I, I think um, we're, we're, we're just a little bit different. So the Aussies sometimes tr um, struggle to figure, figure us out and, and the way we play, which can be a, an advantage to us. Is there a lot of pulling and dragging off the ball, Cara? Would you have a young one hanging off your gansy the whole time, would you? Yeah, and it's allowed to a certain extent. Um, if the ball is in kind of within 15 metres of your area, it's play on, you can do whatever you want. You can be bumped off the ball, you can be um, drag, pulling the jersey is like if the umpire sees that, that's technically a foul. But if he's down the other side of the, of the oval, it's not going to happen. But if you're running for the ball, and it's seen, then that's, you know, that's a foul. But yeah, I suppose it's the biggest thing is that if the ball is there and you're not anywhere near it, someone can just come and shoulder you off the ball and it's not a free once it's in within 15 metres of the ball. So yeah, there was a couple of things that you just have to learn. I suppose it took, you forget when you're playing because you're always playing off in instinct that, you know, if there's a ball between me and my opponent, you forget that you actually can push them once it's not in the back, you can push them at the side, you can shoulder them, all of that. So as I said, these are things that you kind of have to keep um, working on a training and practicing that you um, remember that you can actually do them in a game. So, yeah, I think the first season you're just, yeah, because I had such a short preseason that I was only over a couple of weeks before our first game. Uh, these things probably developed further on, um, you know, in, in the other seasons, because I said you, you haven't time to learn everything. You just have to, you know, play off your instinct first. And yeah, kind of the off season of after my first season is where you kind of start to, piece of your game together because you have time you're, you're learning the, the dark arts there as you go along exactly, exactly. officially like ladies Gaelic football is officially a non-contact sport right I remember doing the refereeing course and it was going how little contact is actually allowed was that did it take you a long time to get used to and would you be the kind of person to go okay well if she's pushing me now I'll push her back does it come more naturally to you now maybe than it would have done when you were playing ladies Gaelic football yeah, I suppose it does. You have to um, you kind of learn. You just kind of learn to stand up for yourself. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever come naturally because, again, it's not something that you grew, grew up doing. It's like everything you kind of do in the Gaelic football pitch is just instinctive. Um, you know, obviously in Gaelic football terms, I would be known as quite a strong, you know, powerful player. So, um, yeah, even over here, there is still times that you'd forget to do it. Um, yeah, you'd certainly get better at it now than you were a couple of years ago. But, yeah, it's it's it, once it's something that you can really use to your advantage. So it's it's remember to do it. But um, you know, early days, as I said, it'd be two or three things that you go out to concentrate on in each game because you just get overwhelmed with information. So that's what my coach used to do. He used to probably give me two things that I need to concentrate in a game, and that could change from each game. So, and obviously that was being you know physical and being able to use your body or whatever. Um, so yeah. I think that was the best way of learning. Instead of being overloaded with information, just take two things you're going to work on in each game and, and, and stick to that. And, and then by the time the season's over, you might have, you know, 20 things that you've kind of got better at. Mm. I mean, it, it's so obviously something that's changed you as an athlete. And you mentioned that, you know, the, the strength and the rest and the conditioning and all that kind of thing has changed. Has Australia changed you as a person, do you think, Cora? Um, yeah, po po possibly, I suppose. Um, you know, I'm I'm going from a career at home that you know I've been probably very well known since I was probably 13, um, and yeah, I suppose over here what I love most is yeah you can walk down the streets nobody knows you and 
yeah, you know, you're not in the paper. There's, there's none of that. Uh, yeah, there's obviously a bit around games and stuff like that. But I suppose the anonymity over here, I love um, the lifestyle, obviously, and um, being able to be a full-time professional. You don't have to, you know, try and, try and fit in, in a job with, tra- with training at home as well. But also at home, I suppose, when you're there, you're, you're not just doing your full-time nine-to-five job, you're training, but also you're kind of be pulled in many directions for other things, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it could be, you know, you're asked to do a number of things in any week. So, yeah, and I know one of the difference when I go home and, and come back here, the, the difference is that life at home is very chaotic. It's You don't have a minute to sit down. We're here, it's the opposite that you have, you know, you have plenty of time to switch off, relax and just focus on yourself. But when you go home, it's the, it's the complete opposite. That's just the way life is. So, yeah, I suppose the, the relaxed lifestyle over here and, and I suppose just concentrating on getting yourself better um, is easier than it is when, when you're at home because... As I said, you're being pulled between a full-time job, sport, and other other things. You're being pulled left, right, and centre. And you know, the first time you might sit down at home could be half to eleven o'clock at night, where that would never be the case here. Mm. Do you have a lot of contact with the Irish community there? Because you know, you're such a well-known person in Ireland. You know, you probably can't walk down the street in Mayo without somebody hanging out to you. You know, and as we all know, the the way you'll spot Irish people in Sydney and Melbourne is because they'll be there in the GEA jerseys. Do you get recognised a lot? Do they ask you to do a lot? You know, St Patrick's Day or whatever. Like, yeah, we certainly. Um, yeah, I've done a lot for the different GEA clubs over here. And um, when I say a lot, I don't mean like as in just like taking training sessions or you know, just going to different functions and stuff like that. So, yeah, certainly you would. Um, yeah, I have a good um, connection with a couple of the GEA clubs over here. Um, you know, as I said, just helping out. I actually know a couple of girls and guys that play with them um, that are, you know, that I, that I know from home. So, yeah, certainly I've done stuff from that. And, yeah, um, obviously the, 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 the embassy, the Irish embassy here in Sydney, I've had connections. They've been at a, um, a number of our matches and, a number of the Giants men's matches. And yeah, we've done a number of different functions for them. Um, in particular, Roisin Keane, who's um, involved with the embassy and the consulate over here. So yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd certainly always see them. Don't worry if you, if you, if you, if you got lonely, you want to see a few Irish p- people here in Sydney, you just have to go over to the east side, go to, to Kudji or somewhere like that, or Randwick. And yeah, you'd, you'd certainly, um, within a minute, see here an Irish accent, or yeah, you'd certainly recognise an Irish person. So, yeah, and actually, COVID obviously was a little bit different because you know people couldn't get into the country. But particularly in the last kind of six, six, nine months in in Australia, there's a huge influx of Irish. Um, a huge mm. amount of have come over, and again, a lot of them come to our Sydney-based games. You love always Irish. Mm. That you'll you'll spot a couple of jerseys in the crowd, or an Irish flag, or people coming up to you after the games as well. You'll always. You'll always see them. So, um, yeah, it's it's very much embedded here in Australia, the Irish, uh, especially especially in the east, the eastern suburbs. But yeah, they're they're certainly all around Australia. And yeah, the GEA club and, and different functions I've attended, it's great because sometimes um, when you're a bit like um, you need a little bit of home, um, you know, it's kind of a great place to go and, and catch up with people and, and people, um, you know, that's nearly sometimes on the same wavelength. Yeah. As yeah, but I suppose I've been lucky here. There's another Irish girl in the club, um. So yeah, we bounce a lot of off, off each other as well because yeah, sometimes the Australians just don't fully get you all the time. I think they're nearly there. They're getting me now, but yeah, just certain <laughs> things we talk about, even you know, GA results at the weekend or what's happening at home, mm-hmm. you have that connection. So I've been lucky enough. Majority of my time here, there's been 
2019 and 20 there was an Irish girl and then there's a different Irish girl the last um, th- three seasons so it's uh, yeah it's, it's good in that regard I'm delighted the fact that after six years they're finally or six seasons there they're finally getting to understand you you know how do you how do you deal with this there do you go home a lot where's home for you now is it still Mayo in your heart or are you in Sydney for life now kind of thing oh no it's still Mayo in my heart yeah so normally <laughs> I depending on the, the season how the season goes um yeah, it's kind of normally seven, seven-ish months here, five months at home, or it could be depending on if you have to stay longer because of injury and stuff like that. Um, but no, I try and get home as much. And, and bear, as I said, this season it didn't work out club-wise, but if every other season I'd have been gone home, um, kind of April, May time, and I'd have played a full club season and then came back out. Um, but as the season changed over here, that, that's obviously not possible now. But yeah, no, I'd yeah when I go home I'd work. Um, obviously I do a lot of work with RT. Um, and kind of different organisations when I go home as well. So, yeah, as I said, when I go home, it's flat to the match. There's no time um, between training and work. So, um, yeah, no, certainly Ireland is is, is home. Um, you know, Sydney is just something, um, playing a professional sport, which is something I always wanted to do. And I suppose that being in Sydney gives me the opportunity to do that. Did you ever think you were actually going to get that chance? Because like we were saying earlier, it's only really now that there's professional opportunities for Irish players to play soccer abroad and to play in the AFL and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, did, you, did you think that that may have passed you by at one point? Oh, yeah. I obviously never thought, um, you know, that had happened. Um, you know, when I was growing up, the only opportunity really of playing professional sport was if you went and played an Olympic sport, um, you know, done a boxing. And even at the time, boxing was an Olympic sport. So it was only like if you I kind of looked at the likes of Sonia O'Sullivan. And even at that, you know, most of our Olympic sports nowadays they are, but when I was growing up or even in my early twenties, they weren't full-time jobs. All of the all of our Olympians, majority of them used to work as well. Um, so I suppose you never seen any team sports um growing up that you thought, oh, I want to be that. Um, even like women's soccer, rugby, all of that. I know they are all changed now. But none of that was professional. It's only kind of in the last, I don't like even women's soccer. Like we, we go back to 2017, you know, when they had their press conference around the way mm. they were being treated. That's only still only what five years ago. So mm. things for women's soccer has only probably really progressed and and have the opportunity to go overseas and the women's Premier League over there. That's only probably progressed in the last, I'd say, two or three years that it's, you know, it's, it's really grown and, and obviously, um, the women's uh, England team winning the Euros, stuff like that. That's really built the momentum. And obviously the 15s um, women's rugby going professional in the last kind of number of months, um, even though there's still issues with that and, and, and the pay that, you know, the pay isn't good enough for people to give up their full-time jobs. So there's all of that. Um, so that's only going to improve. But I think AFL probably gives you, because obviously their, their pay has, you know, last season went up by 94%. AFL now gives you a really good opportunity to actually make a good wage and, and have a full-time job, um, you know, really good earning over here. But it also gives young people the opportunity to go to the other side of the world, you know, mm-hmm. see see another country, but see, you know, obviously sunshine, all of that. Um, so that's probably, it's probably still one of the most attractive jobs to try and get to the other side of the world and play sport and get, and get paid quite well for it. So um, I think in time, the likes of um, the Irish rugby team and women's soccer, Women's soccer in the UK will just keep growing and growing, but I suppose mm. domestically we still need to improve that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, when you see the team qualify for the World Cup now, and I was talking to an agent recently, and she was telling me that, look, you know, if the Irish girls want to perform when they get to Australia, they have to get to full-time setups. They have to be able to do what you do in terms of going to the gym, resting, sleeping, eating properly, and that kind of thing. And that means then that they can't really play in the National League at home, you know. Um, when you saw, I know I was looking at your Twitter there earlier on, you were delighted, of course, when the girls made it to the World Cup, which, of course, next year is being played in Australia. Um, how much do you think that means? means for women's sport in Ireland that the women's team has finally qualified for the finals of a major tournament? Oh, it's huge. Um, and as I said, especially when you look um, at the path they've taken, I suppose, over the last over the last decade, but certainly over the last five, six years and how, you know, I, I suppose it just proves that when the right resources and um, right plans are put in place for a team to succeed, um, you know, that's what happens. And as I said, it took them to have the courage to stand up in 2017 which you know wasn't an easy thing to do, and you know it could have it could have gone anyway. Thankfully, it went the right way, and they you know things have got so much better for them. But um, you know I think it's it's huge for for women's um, sport in, in Ireland that they've qualified for a World Cup. We we can see, um, you know how the momentum has kind of grown um, in the last number of kind of months and even a year um, around the soccer team and the amount of sport they're growing because of the exposure they're getting. And the exposure they will continue to get now, um, leading up to the World Cup next August, um, here in Australia. So it's it's huge, and it's huge for young young girls growing up, um, you know, to have role models that they're seeing constantly on TV or in the newspaper, or you know, in in general life. So I think that, yeah, it's huge, um, and you know, to have it here in Australia and to get for them to come over to the other side of the world and to have their first game against the you know the host nation. Um, here in Sydney, it's it's just massive, um, you know, because sport here and like the Matildas, which the Australian soccer team are known as, are, are huge over here. They're absolutely huge. They're bigger than the men's, than the Socceroos who are, you know, after the World Cup. They, in the last number of years, they've been bigger than them. Mm. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to a couple of their friendly matches that they've had in Sydney, went to one of them last year. And the support that they get um, at their games, this was only a friendly um, you know, it's huge. They're, they're massive names over here. Um, obviously, their biggest one being Sam Kerr, who plays for Chelsea. But yeah, women's sport over here is so much different to, to sport at home. Um, you know, the, the soccer team, whether you play netball, whatever the sport is, you know, it's massive. And they're, and they're all, majority of them are full-time professional and, and treated very well. So yeah, if you're certainly a young girl growing up in Australia, you have so much choice to what professional sport um, that you that you'd like to play, um, and you'd hope that someday in you know, in the not too distant future, it it'll take a while that you know Ireland will have the Irish um young girls in Ireland will have the same opportunity as young girls in Australia do over here. Do, do you remember who you looked up to at that point? You mentioned Sonia O'Sullivan there, but I'm just trying to think because like I'm a little bit older than you and I remember thinking that Jean, you know, it was almost like women in sport were invisible in Ireland. Sonia was basically the only one. Did you have any other sort of heroines that you looked up to when you were coming up? Yeah, um, all uh, all male though. Sonia was the only one and, and I knew I was never going to be into athletics or certainly 3,000 metre running or, you know, whatever dist- other distance she did. Uh, that wasn't me anyways, for sure. <laughs> Super. Um, yeah. So no, I'm when I grown up, I suppose like I had um Gaelic footballers, Morris Fitzgerald would have been probably the biggest Gaelic footballer oh, wow. I looked up to. And then um the likes of Kieran McDonald from Mayo. And I suppose from a, um an international since um I I'm a huge Manchester United fan. So Roy Keane was 
was the guy that I wanted to be when I was growing up. I just loved Roy Keane and I still do, um, mm. still love him. So, yeah, he was the one I just, yeah, week in, week out, because I just followed Manchester United all the time. And, yeah, I just wanted to be him. That's all I wanted to be. So when I was younger, I actually thought I'd play for my dream was to play for Manchester United, not knowing there wasn't a, an opportunity to do that. But yeah, I just loved following him and following him, whether it was with Ireland or United. I just, and even now I love, love watching him on TV. And yeah, I know he's a little bit controversial, but yeah, I love his passion and the way he goes about it. Are you in any way like Roy Keane in the, in the dressing room or on the pitch? <laughs> Probably a little bit like him. Um, um, yeah, I probably am. Probably, yeah, I probably mellowed a little bit. But yeah, no, I'd be probably as driven as he is then. Um, yeah, demand very high standards and, um, you know, want to get the best out of myself. Um, so yeah, there's there's probably, I'm probably, there's probably certain traits that we have. We probably, um, yeah, have that stubborn streak that's in him as well. But um, yeah, I just, I just, lo- I just loved his way that, you know, um, that he just goes about his business. He's just his drive and his passion like even now his passion for for soccer is yeah it's just I love even listening to him now his passion for the game and and wanting to see whether it's United or Ireland whoever do well um you know it's 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 amazing but yeah he was the guy you know and as he said he was never the most talented growing up he just worked so hard and like the respect he had and where he got like from from being you know from Cork and Ireland to being captain of probably one of the biggest clubs in the world at the time you know was credit to him and, and it wasn't always easy but it was because he was so you know so driven um and he just wanted to succeed succeed and obviously the success that he had with United was you know was amazing obviously he had he had, had his faults but everyone has their faults but um yeah he he was he was he was definitely the one person and a lot of that United team growing up that he played with there were yeah certainly someone that I was trying to emulate when I was a small one um, running around they had an amazing culture at that club in terms of, you know, they just refused to lose. Do you remember Paul Lince, Pallister, Steve Bruce, Peter Schmeichel, Dennis Irwin, Paul Parker, all these great players who just had that mentality, you know? Is is the mentality what sets you apart? Because you didn't just have the sort of, you know, the, the drive to win, but you had the technical skill and the competence and the confidence as well. Is that what it was? You know, what was it that made you so successful, no matter what sport you turned your hand to? Um, I suppose, I, as I said earlier on, I probably like really love a challenge. I'm, yeah, I'm very competitive and I know most people say that, but I'm ultra competitive. I don't like losing at anything, whether it be, you know, a drill that we do in a trainer or a small sided game. So, yeah, I'd be hugely competitive. Um, and yeah, I I'd probably push myself to, to as far as I can to the limits just to try and to get it, um, you know, uh, announced better. Um, yeah, and just off the field, I'd be you know, like hugely professional in terms how I look after myself and, you know, all, all of the small things. Um, well, yeah, I just think that I'm, I'm very driven. Um, and yeah, as I said, if anyone tells me I can't do something, I'm more than likely going to do it because they've said I can't do it. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose you don't realize the, the, um, how strong your mind can be and how, how far you can push yourself. Um, and I suppose when, when I broke my leg quite badly over here in 2019, you know, that probably should have been career ending for me because it was that bad of a break. Um, but I, all it took was just someone to say, oh, you're, she's not going to get back. She needs to finish. And that's all the motivation I need. Then you, you, you see me, um, you know, just trying to break every um, record possible that I can break and get back as quick as I can. And, um, you know, just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably motivated by proving people wrong. Um, at times so yeah I'm just yeah probably stubborn and driven and and and, and very hard work and I suppose are 
you know, what sets people apart. And, you know, that's if you look at the the top athletes in the world in any sport, I suppose, like, that's what sets them apart is just that they, they're driven and, and very um, hungry to succeed. But um, they, they also, um, you know, just love, love the, or, and relish a, a challenge. And um, I actually was watching a documentary there, I think it was yesterday or the day before I was recommended In Search of Greatness. And it goes through like um, different um, different players. There's a hockey player and there's a NFL player, and it goes through Serena Williams and just what makes them different. Because it's just because they're so competitive and yeah, they, they just never give up. I suppose that's probably the biggest thing um, for me. I suppose. Are you competing against anybody else, or are you competing against yourself to be the best version of yourself? Uh, yeah, probably you're probably competing against yourself, but you're also competing against um, you're probably competing um, against people that think that you're not going to get there. So if that makes sense, you're so again you're yep. trying to prove people wrong. Um, yeah, and like for me when I'm over here, um, you know the head coach that that, that signed me originally, um, he he finished up with this last year, but like I'd be always um, trying to get better to prove not that he ever doubted me because he never did, but to prove that he was right to take me out. So like, yeah, there's just, yeah, your brain works in a very, in a very weird way, but yeah, just always trying to prove that, yeah, you know, you can, you can strive to be better than you are um, from season to season, whether it's from season to season, game to game or training to training. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much one that never misses training, even though I have probably loads of outs at times. Um, I don't miss matches, even though like this year I, I, broke my nose, had to have surgery. I played with pipes up my nose, broke my thumb, should have been, should have had surgery. So these kind of, I think I'm just very mentally resilient. So, um, I've, yeah, I'm probably a bit unique in that, in that regard that I can play through pain and, um, you know, small things like that. But yeah, it's, it's just to make sure that I can challenge myself to be better every time that I go out and play or train. I'll tell you, I'm starting to think you're a harder woman than Roy Keane ever could be. <laughs> I have one last question for you, my friend, right? Because one of these things, the one of the things they say in boxing all the time is that father time is undefeated. Eventually, a time will come where, you know, you won't be able to play sport at the elite level that you have done since you were 13 years of age. Does that thought scare you at all, Cora? No, I don't think so. Because um, obviously you think about that. I've had a long, you know, long number of years because people have been asking me that question, I suppose, for the last 10 years. Um, no, when you go to retire yeah, yeah. <laughs> and more um, no it doesn't because I know that um, I, I won't be one of these people that will just hang on and, and you know um, it's in, in, in the AFL it's a little bit different because you don't have like a bench and be a sub but I won't be making the match day 21 I'll know um, when the right time is to go because I want to go out not, a, not necessarily at the top I hate when people say you want to go out at the top but I want to go out knowing that I've given taken every ounce out of me and I've given my best and my best it now is not good enough anymore so um yeah no I, I and I know that time is close so no I, I'd be very content when whenever I whenever I may finish um, I'll always go back and play a little bit of club football and help them out but at top level sport I'll always know that I'll be very content that I've got every ounce out of me because I know I'll have got it so um yeah when that time comes I'll, I'll know well because it's not that I don't want to be the person that doesn't sit on the bench or, or that but um yeah as i said over here it's not a bench it's it's, it's either in the team or out of the team so um yeah i know when that time will come and yeah i'm going to be very content with it because um i i probably have given so much at that stage that i won't be able to give any more so 
Um, and as I said, I've been blessed that throughout my career, even though I've had some serious injuries, none of them have really held me back for too long. And, you know, um, even when in my time with Mayo, I, you know, I was lucky enough, I didn't rarely miss a game in my whole 23 year career. And, you know, it's been with the, with the Giants here. I haven't missed a game for them at all um, since I come out here, even though, as I said, I've had some some major injuries. So I've been very lucky um, that I've got, got such a long career. I often tell kids that your career is quite short and sometimes they look at me and go, no, it isn't, you've played for so long. But for, for most people, um, and certainly in professional sport and certainly in AFL over here, in, in the men's game to reach 50 games is, is seen as a huge achievement. Um, so yeah, the, the average man, men's career over here is only a number of years because of injury and the attrition of the game. So yeah, I've, I I know when my time comes that I'll be very content that I've got every ounce out of me. So and you know I'll always be involved in sport, whether it's in coaching or in in some regard, I'll I'll certainly be involved for going forward. Well, when that day comes, and I can't see it coming anytime soon, you're, you've always been one of the greats, and you always be, will be one of the greats. Correspondent, thanks so much for talking to me. No problem at all, Philip. You're very welcome. Fernani Cool. Macrill again, waiting out the back is Staunton. Staunton with the soccer. Does she get down to pick it up? She's got White for company, and she toe pokes it through. Cora Staunton. That... I see the background growing up with Gaelic footy. This is like uh, money for old rope. I'll have that one. <laughs> Scorer Staunton. That's what they're going to be going Scorer. with again this week. <laughs> Scorer Staunton. If that isn't a perfect nickname, lads, and of course it took the Aussies to come up with it. I love that little clip because it says so much about uh, Cora as an athlete and a player. And if you see the clip, you can probably picture it from the commentary there. So take it from a, a clip on YouTube from the AFL Europe channel. And it's just Cora using all the transferable skills she has, her Gaelic football skills, her soccer skills, just and her desire to win. And just getting in there and getting on her left foot and poking a ball over the line that, you know, maybe a lot of players would have given up on, but not Cora. And as you would have heard in the interview there, what a winner, what a great competitor she is. And it was an absolute honour and a pleasure to talk to her. That is it for this week. As I say, the interviews will keep on coming. If we can find young Martin and his guitar knocking around here now, I'll have a chat with him and try to bring that to you next week. And then I'll be visiting, or visiting uh, virtually visiting, as they say in the modern world, uh, one of the smallest, but one of the oldest Irish communities in the world in the coming weeks as well but that is all ahead of us that is it for this week i hope you're well i hope you're getting ready for the christmas now that you're ordering your bits and pieces your tea bags and your tato and whatever else you can get get in touch if you have a suggestion for somebody i need to talk to a book that you've written an album you have out a film that you made a poem that you've written all that kind of thing because i want to bring it to the 70 million irish around the world and that's what we do here on the global gale podcast so take in the meantime take care of yourselves take care of one another and I'll talk to you all again very very soon.